Welcome to All In. I'm Rick Jordan. Today I'm the CEO of a large technology company, but in 2007, I lost it all. And now I'm here to share the lessons I've learned and the strategies my guests have used to build success from the bottom up. In every episode, you'll get something to reach for and something to grab onto. Whether it's personal development, business, technology, or giving back, You'll be able to ignite the spark in your life to make that change and transformation. So 10 years down the road from now, you'll be able to look back and say, I don't even know that person that I was. I'm so glad I decided to rise. I'm so glad I decided to stand up and actually begin to start to ignite the spark, to go all in. Welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I am Rick Jordan. I'm really pumped for this episode. I'm really pumped for all my episodes, but today is a special shout out to my IT community. I am, I, I love everybody that's a part of it, even though some of them can be kind of nuts sometimes, And but that's how it is. That's how, how this community is. There's some things that I'm just going to be very, very straight up with today. This is going to be kind of, I think, the first episode of many here. This is going to be a high level because I'm successful and I don't have an issue saying that because I make seven figures in my IT firm. I have a couple other businesses too, but my IT firm alone does seven figures. And that's cybersecurity. It started out as managed services. Managed services, everyone in the IT community knows, that is also abbreviated as an acronym of MSP, Managed Service Provider. That has been around for a long time now over a decade. And I remember when I first went into freelancing, which was back in 2007, that I, I was just going out and doing the the break fix thing. There's, there's going to be a lot of lingo in this one too, and I'm going to do my best to explain it. The IT community will understand this, but here's a key for everyone else that's listening that does not run an IT business, which is probably a lot of you. You can learn something from any industry that exists. Even though I'm talking specifically about one of my companies today and how I make money, my secrets, there is always something that you can pull away from other industries. That was actually one of the most valuable things that I ever did was to stop going to only IT-related conferences. I started going to just general entrepreneurial conferences and belonging to masterminds that have all industries that belong to them. One of the best ones I've ever been a part of is called Board of Advisors. You have to be invited into this thing and almost sponsored. You have two interviews to even get into this thing. It's with Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, Michael Gerber from the New York Times bestseller of The E-Myth, has sold you know over 5 million copies of his book. That's the mastermind that I'm a part of. You don't get to be part of these masterminds unless you're actually a heavy hitter. And I would consider myself a heavy hitter. At the same time, going into this, when I was invited, to go and check it out and sort of try out for it, I still had a little case of who am I? Because I look at guys like that and girls like that and think, wow, they are so much further along than me. What the heck do I have to offer them? And I realized very quickly after my first time there that I have expertise that they don't. It doesn't matter how much more successful or further along somebody is than you. You can always learn from them and they can always learn from you. And the best thing you can do with your IT or anything else is get in a room with people outside of your industry. 
That was something that I did from day one. I had to. I had to learn from everybody else that was out there. So if you're listening today and you don't own an IT business, you don't work in IT, you are still going to get some very great things out of this because you can apply these concepts just across business. And that is one of the general or one of the generalities, I would say, with IT also is that the concepts that I have are really very much business related. They're not necessarily specific to IT, but I'm going to tell you how I apply them to my IT business. Now, did you catch that? They are business terms. And here's something that I I do see. And again, I told you, I'm just going to shoot straight with you today because there's a lot of IT people that did IT or wasn't, they were an IT manager or, you know, a help desk technician in a company in a corporation and something might have happened to where they just got disgruntled with their job or like, maybe I can do this better, which is great. You should always think that you can do things better and try to improve upon. Or a lot of times you get fired for underperformance for whatever means, or even just a a culture riff that you might have with everybody else in that company. You just don't match up and that's okay, but they let you go. Cool. You decided to jump off the cliff and do this on your own. Here's what I see a lot is that a lot of these quote-unquote entrepreneurs that jump out of IT and go to do things for themselves, start the one-man show, they are always doing the same job, working twice as many hours, and making the same amount of pay, if not less. And I hate seeing this because it's like they're, they're grinding, they think that the grass is greener on the other side by doing this. You can't just start an IT firm and just do the same job you were just doing for a corporation. That is a very, very troublesome mindset to have. You're going to spiral out of control. You're going to burn yourself out, and you're not going to be successful. You're going to make the same money, if not less, as you did when you worked for someone else. And guys, that's not worth it. That is not worth it to go out on your own and still make the same money. There's no point in doing that. You need to cover your bases. You need to pay for your mortgage. You need to put a roof over your family's head. You need to eat, obviously. Making money is a very, very good thing. And making a lot of it is even better because you can actually positively influence other people. When you go out and you're saying, you know, I'm just going to do this for other people or do this for myself now rather than for other people, that's the wrong mindset. When you start an IT firm on your own, you should still think, I'm going to do this for other people, but it's for a different people. Now it's not for your bosses, the corporate overlords. Now you're saying, I want to build something meaningful for everybody that's going to be working for me. You start a business like that, already you're starting to think beyond yourself. You're already going after something that's bigger than you. You're just the one that's keeping the train on the tracks. Making sense? I hope you're tracking with me so far. I'm going to get into some specifics also. But that's a travesty to me is when I see IT guys, IT girls think I'm going to start this thing and they make the same if not less money working twice as hard and twice as long. Let's talk about how you can be profitable. This whole term called break fix has been around for a long time too. And I have nothing against plumbers at all, but I have always related to this as the plumbers of IT, just metaphorically because when your faucet at your house is leaking or your toilet's doing something funky, what do you do? You call a plumber. That plumber comes out, fixes it. You are never going to call that plumber again unless something else breaks. 
That's just the business model that they have. And that makes sense for those kinds of things. I mean, toilets don't break all the time. Faucets don't leak every single day. There's pretty much nothing that changes except they wear out over time. The seals start to break down and maybe the putty comes off, whatever it is. The pipes get a little rusty. Cool. Then you call the plumber to come and fix it. Let's shift it around. The plumber only gets paid when something's broken. I always hated this idea of who the computer guy was in the break fix model. Let me put you in the mindset of your customers now for a bit. If you're doing break fix, meaning you are only waiting for stuff to break and that's when your phone rings and that's the model that you're going after, the people that you're going after, it blows my mind too that this is actually still a thing because the industry itself has shifted over from this into a managed service provider mindset to where you are billing a certain amount monthly for unlimited support or a specific type of support, but there's revenue, consistent revenue coming in every month. However, if you're still doing this break-fix stuff, guys, let, girls, let me put you in the mindset of your customer. This is something that a lot of coaches out there don't talk about. They just talk about it from your perspective on how you need consistent revenue. You need consistent income coming in. And that's why you would want to go to an MSP model versus break fix because the MSP model has monthly recurring revenue, MRR, coming in all the time. That's not why I'm saying you shouldn't do break fix. What I'm saying is put yourself in the mindset of your customer, which I always have done. The only time they see you is when something's broken. Think about that. They're already in a bad mood because something's not working right. And the second bad thing about this break-fix model is once you fix it, they know that they're going to have to pay money. So now they know that something's broken to begin with. They're upset because things should just work, right? And after that, when it gets fixed, they know that they're going to have an invoice, a big fat invoice coming in because they just paid for your time. This is bad. This is a very bad model because there's negativity that surrounds every aspect of it. Sure, you might have some that say that they're grateful that you know so much and that you fixed it so fast that you showed up to their door so quick when this thing broke. That's great. And that's good. That's, that's good response time. Fantastic. Way to go. However, they're still wishing that that thing didn't break to begin with and that they didn't have to pay the money. Putting yourself in the mindset of your customer and looking at it from their perspective is something that you have to do to view this break-fix model and why you shouldn't do it. It's not just about consistent revenue that's coming into you, consistent income that's coming into you. It's bad for your customers to be in this break-fix mindset. Now think about that for a minute because everyone thinks, oh, you know, if I shift from that, there's, there's guys and girls that have been doing this for a long time in a break-fix model. And I remember this too. I've talked to a lot of them. I coach IT providers and they'll say, well, I, I just don't know, you know, because I've got this revenue coming in. What's going to happen with my, with my customer base? You know, because if I ask for them for a monthly payment now, I, don't th I think they're going to have a problem with that. You know what? Some might, and that's okay. But out of good conscience... I could never do that when I jumped into this deep ocean by myself when I went freelancing and when I launched my company, Reach Out Technology, eight years ago. I could never do the break-fix model because I didn't want to have that negative energy surrounding my services. Every time that everyone would see me, I wanted them to have a smile on their face because Rick Jordan was walking in the door. If things were broken 
and they knew they were going to have to pay money because things weren't working right, they're not going to be happy when they see me. All they're thinking about is this is the necessary evil. This is the person that I have to pay to get me back to where I should be and where I should have stayed to begin with in my operations, in my productivity, in my production, in my shipping times, in my legal practice, everything. This is the person that's going to bring me back to where I should be. Now, that's another key point. You're not helping them build to a certain level or go beyond where they're at right now. They've gotten knocked down by something being broken and they can't function at 100%. You're helping bring them back to where they were. They've already been there and nobody wants to stay where they're at. Everyone wants to continue to grow and improve and move beyond that and increase revenues, increase profits, hire more people, build a bigger company, have a better life. That's where you want to sit in IT and even in any business. You don't want to be the person that brings somebody back to where they were you know, and helps bring them back to that point. Sure, some industries, that's just the way it is. Fine, awesome way to go. But especially with IT, that's not the case. This is the mindset there. How much good are you really doing for that person when the only thing that you do when they get knocked down is help bring them back to where they were? You're not helping them go beyond that. And then you're just waiting for another call. It's a much better service model to keep them where they're at rather than having them get taken back a couple of steps and move them beyond where they're at right now. That's the beauty of an MSP. That's the the ethical conundrum with being a break-fix IT provider. Yes, you have consistent revenue coming in, and that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. I knew that if I ever started a business or businesses, that I needed to do some kind of recurring revenue model. Think about this. Let's talk about the benefits for you now. Because there's questions that I always ask, whether it's any sort of business engagement, whatever it is, is it right for my clients or my customer? Is it right for my company? And is it right for me? There needs to be a yes to all three of those. So yes, when you're an MSP, it is right for your customer because you are allowing yourself to be the person that keeps them where they're at and help them grow beyond where they are rather than just the person that has this negative energy surrounding them. I could go on and on about this forever, but I do want to get into some specifics on some profitability metrics that you need to look at. So that's the first part is break fix versus MSP. And it's crazy to me because this has been talked about now geez, for over 10 years at this point. You know, the model's been around probably for about 20 and it still blows my mind that there's people out there still doing this. And that's okay because you might not know any difference. I'm telling you there's a different way. I'm telling you there's a better way for you and there's a better way for your customers. This is the way to do it. And masterminds that I'm a part of. One thing that my peers are always blown away by is by how lean my business is. And even when I go to the bank and I look at, you know, lines of credit to to fund deals, you know, to fund AR before the money comes in, they look at my net profit and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing net profit. How are you doing this? The, The banker is even blown away by these things. First off, my peers ask me how I do things and keep so few employees around to be able to accomplish that. One word, standards. This is something that I had to learn, that I actually had to incorporate from a coach that I had years ago. 
Right now, my people, my team, I have this role called a technical account manager. And you can call it whatever you want to do. But the role of this individual is to go out and audit existing clients and make sure that they are up to standards all the time. Now, this could be, for example, computers are less than three years old. They, they have to be. And here's why. Because the, the failure rate of a computer right out of the box, brand new, is 11%. At the three-year mark, it jumps to 78%. It's insane, which is why I cut it off at three years. It's also why the smart people like HP, Dell, Lenovo out there cap their manufacturer's warranties at three years unless you pay extra to go beyond that on their business class commercial computer systems because they know the failure rates. These are things that are put out there by Microsoft, who has huge data centers, by Google that has huge data centers. The failure rate goes from 11% to 78% after three years. So that's one of my standards is that all the computers have to be under three years and supported by a major manufacturer. I choose HP, Dell, and Lenovo. They're the biggest ones that are out there. Not building my own machines like I know some IT firms do just because they're trying to save the client dollars. And they're thinking, oh, well, Rick, you're charging $1,500, $2,000 per computer system when I can do that for half that. I can do $750. I can do $800 bucks if I build it myself. Those have a much higher failure rate because think about this when I'm talking about standards. Dell, HP, and Lenovo, when they make a model, they have the same exact chip, the same exact boards, the same exact sticks of memory, the same exact hard drives in all products that are pushed out with that model number. If it has that model number, it has these parts. They're not sourcing components from lots of different manufacturers like hard drives would be Toshiba versus Samsung versus Western Digital. They're not having product supply chain differentials with that. Apple got into trouble with this themselves even a couple years ago because they were trying to diversify their supply chain, which is somewhat of a smart business move in some ways. But they had Qualcomm versus Intel as far as the chips in the iPhone go. This was with the iPhone Seven, I believe is what it was, maybe the iPhone 8, to diversify their supply chain. The Intel chip did not perform as well as the Qualcomm chip. People were complaining more about the Intel phones, which were the phones that ran on AT&T and T-Mobile, and the Qualcomm phones were the ones that ran on Verizon and Sprint. There was way worse speeds from data on the Intel chip than there was on the Qualcomm, and they even slowed down the Qualcomm chip to perform as poorly as the Intel one did with a software updates. That way it would seem comparable. And you wouldn't be sitting side by side with your best buddy saying, well, I've got an iPhone 8, you've got an iPhone 8. Why is mine half as fast as yours is? Why does yours perform so much better? When you're not a, you know, is it because I'm on AT&T and T-Mobile and you're on Sprint? No, Sprint's not that great anyways, whatever. But the point is, is that the network wasn't to blame. It was the chipset inside these phones because they wanted to diversify their supply chain. When you're running into IT solutions, you need to provide the same solution across the board to all of your clients to meet an end result. Now, a lot of my IT buddies have accounts with Ingram Micro or Synex or Tech Data. Ingram Micro is a Fortune 100 company. They're one of the largest distributors in the world. You know, their business model, whatever, but they carry a lot of products. Now, when you go look on their ordering sites, 
when I just talked about HP Dell and Lenovo, I was showing this to one of my team members the other day and showing them why we do the things that we do as far as standards go. When I filtered it down and just went into desktop computers, that's it. There were 6,817 possibilities, different models of desktop computers. Imagine if I had to support 600 or 6,817 different models across my entire client base. It's ridiculous. You wouldn't know what's breaking and why. All the different software that has to be applied to these things, different patches because there's different chips in them, all of that. So I have picked three that match different end results. I have chosen three and I, with different specs, you know, if it's an amount of memory or a solid state drive or a specific size of storage that they need inside these things. There are three that fit almost every single scenario that's out there because why? It's a standard. And when this person, this technical account manager goes out to audit these things once a month, they make sure that things are still in alignment. Here's the beauty of it too. One, you're putting everybody on the same thing. So you don't have to pay as much in salaries to have somebody support tons of different models or tons of different brands of things that are out there because you're using one or using just three, in my case, that are all under one provider. Now, I've moved from Dell to HP and HP to Dell and over to Lenovo over the past eight years, but that's, that's strategic because it had to do with what had the greatest match up to the end results that I was going for with my customers at the same time. But when I switched over, everybody got the same thing. When I switched to a different manufacturer, everybody got the same thing. I only use sonic walls for a firewall because my team can learn one operating system. That's it. They don't have to support 10 different types of firewalls. And these are things that are audited. So when I bring on a new client, the technical account manager goes out and starts checking boxes as far as whether they're in alignment with my standards at Reach Out Technology or they are out of alignments. And they might have even bought a new firewall just three months ago from their previous vendor. Who cares? Really, who cares? It might be an okay firewall. It might be WatchGuard or it might be a different brand, but if you're only supporting Sonic Walls, like I do, and those are the ones that you're putting in, or maybe it's Meraki, I don't care. What, I don't care what you use, just make sure that that's the only thing that you use across your entire, entire client base. And I set the expectations going in, in the sales engagements, saying it's a rip and replace strategy. This is how your first 90 days is going to go. When I take you on as a client, when you come on board with Reach Out Technology, it's rip and replace. We have a set of standards and here's why. Because my team is experts in SonicWall. They can resolve problems faster because we deal with this day in and day out with our entire client base. Now, whether it's a WatchGuard firewall or a SonicWall firewall, they will both produce the same end result at protecting that network and routing that internet traffic. However, Programming them is completely different. Troubleshooting them is completely different what you click on. If you're only supporting one, you can resolve things faster and you can hire people that don't have to know 12 different things. They only need to know one. Standards is so key. And I know you're starting to think, well, if I bring people on, their stuff can be good enough. I don't want to ask them for all this money. Why not? It's better for them. Remember those three questions I asked them before? Is it good for your customer? 
Yes, it's good for your customer because now they're working with a technology provider that is an expert in this particular product. There's no reason why they wouldn't want to have what all of your other customers have and what you are good at supporting. Is it good for the company, for you, for your company? Absolutely it is because now it's a sales opportunity. It's a revenue generator out of this. There's a win. There's another win. And third, is it good for you? Yes, it's good for you because now you don't have to support these rogue networks that don't fall into standards where you're supporting 95% sonic walls and you've got five clients that have watch guards. And if they have a problem, it takes you two hours to try to figure out where it's at rather than two minutes. Standards are key, and that's a win, win, win. Good for your clients, good for your company, good for you. I know we're getting towards the end of this episode, and there's one other thing that I want to hit. This is going to be an ongoing series, I think, too, because this technical account manager, this is so key for this, right? And it's part of my structure. It's part of how I organize things. The biggest part about this role is it helps eliminate trouble tickets. Remember that question that I asked, that I said was asked of me all the time is how do you support so many endpoints, so many clients with so few people? There are those where you're like, wow, you only have eight people on staff? I'm doing the same amount of revenue as you, and I have 17. This is literally the conversation that I've had before because they are just... Working tickets, working tickets, working tickets, because things just keep breaking, 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 breaking. The only thing that they're focused on is a fast response time and a fast resolution time, which are two very good metrics to keep track of. It's one, how quickly can you get to your client when they call in, send an email or text message, whatever it is. And second, how fast can you get them back up? That, those are important to track. However, what's also important to track is a ratio of your tickets to the amount of endpoints that you're actually managing. When you lower your ticket counts, now you don't need as many people. And you can hire better people and pay them more. You can hire people with greater skill sets and pay them more because you're focusing on preventing these things from happening rather than just trying to get to them fast and fix them fast on the, on the other side after it's already broken. Your clients are going to love you too. I show my clients these metrics and show them when we started a year ago when they come on board to where they're at right now, how many tickets they had on average per month before versus how many tickets they have now at the end of the year. And they're always blown away because that's what I'm focused on. Answering the questions that nobody else starts to look at. Looking at the types. Now you have to have something to track this to. You have to have the systems in place, but this is key data. Every single month, this technical account manager looks at their clients that they're assigned for. This is the key role in, this, in my company, guys, in my IT firm, is this technical account manager. They look at what types of trouble tickets came in. So if it's a line of business application or maybe it was email, that might have topped the type of trouble ticket that came in for a specific month or a specific quarter for that client. Then they start drilling into why that was and figure, you know what, if I make this one small change, none of these tickets could have ever hit our desk to begin with. We call these a DBA, a day before action. If I knew yesterday that this ticket was going to come in today, what would I have changed to stop it from even happening in the first place? Now, guys, this has nothing to do. I'm going to... Uh, 
real quick with your RMM solution, your remote monitoring and management solution, whatever you use, if it's Synchro, if it's ConnectWise Automator, formerly LabTech, Continuum, whatever, a lot of guys and girls that just start into this industry focus on the alerts that come off from those things like, oh, they're using too much memory or their hard drive's about full, whatever it is. Yeah, you know what? We turn most of that crap off <laughs> and reach out because as long as they're within our standards, those little alerts and monitors and annoying crap that just pops up will never even show up to begin with because I know that they're in our standards and that stuff is just really never going to happen because I've designed their network the way it's supposed to be. Now these technical account managers can look at the problems that have happened and figure out in broad strokes what to do to prevent those from happening again. It could be just a simple, simple shift, like putting a shortcut on someone's desktop so Everyone can access that application so much easier rather than trying to find it or whatever. They take a look at these things every single month, every single quarter on those rhythms on each client, pull the data out of our management system, which is ConnectWise for the ConnectWise Manage. There's a lot of others out there, guys, but it's key. Don't try to save money. ConnectWise is one of the more expensive ones out there. But the other ones, you just cannot pull the data out that you need, especially when it comes to this role that's in my organization, the technical account manager, where they are looking at ticket trends as far as the types go. ConnectWise has types and subtypes, but a type could be internet connectivity. It could be line of business application. It could be email. If there's a lot of people in a month that are saying, if you look at the tickets and that's the most as far as the type goes is email and you start drilling into those and see that maybe one client had 10 tickets for email and all of them were related to spam. Now you know that you need to make a shift. Maybe you need to increase the filter score to make sure that those don't come in anymore. Or maybe they're saying that I'm getting a lot of messages being blocked in my quarantine. I'm not getting real messages that are supposed to come through to my inbox. And you go back and look, and maybe they started doing business with a new client or a new vendor, and it's this one vendor or this one client that keeps getting blocked. You can whitelist that domain and eliminate all of those tickets that just came in the last month, rather than solving things on an individual level and someone calls in and says, yeah, this person's email got blocked and it shouldn't have been. Now you whitelist it for that individual user on that individual email address. Going back, I know this is really simplistic, guys and girls, but this is the key to how you stay profitable is stopping these tickets from happening in the first place. I'm not talking about alerts on monitors. That stuff is stupid. And if you're in alignments, if you set certain standards, those things will never happen except for rarities, except for the exceptions. You need to look at your ticket metrics as far as types every single month across your client base and look at the trends. And then you can look at a trend over your entire company and see what type is the greatest across all of your clients and knock that out and you could possibly eliminate half or more of your tickets every single month. This is huge. This technical account manager role is huge. 
There's a lot more that this person does as far as their daily rhythms goes. And this is one thing that I teach in my coaching program and my mastermind that I have. And either way, I think I'm going to publish some eBooks on this because this is huge, guys. This is how I stay, one of the ways that I stay so lean and so profitable and do way more with fewer people, and then I can pay those people more and everybody is happy, client systems stay up, they're happy, I eliminate tickets, nobody's just dealing with the crap all day long, and they're working on actually growing our client's business rather than just bringing them back to where they were. The one thing that I have for you on this episode today is to shift your mentality. Stop looking at it from your perspective and put yourself in the mind of your customer and see how they view you if you're not doing these things. I say this in my organization, in my, in my business, put yourself on the same side of the table as our customer. You'll see things in a whole new light. Keep at it. This is the first of many of these episodes on how to run a profitable MSP and cybersecurity firm. Boom. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out every Monday. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.